welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, good morning, Liam, and thanks for being on my podcast. You're very welcome. I'm glad to be here. And we've just barely met. Um, I mean, we haven't really met. We're meeting right now. Yep. We just... Um, I've seen you at the gym, and um, I think you know you were in the sauna for just a few, a short time, and um, just talked with you briefly. Then, so you're a personal trainer, and uh, and then what else do you do besides? Um, what else are you into besides personal training? Um, so I'm really kind of into. Um I'm currently going through a little bit of a video game issue where mm-hmm. I'm playing video games probably too much. Um, I am also into uh, archery. So archery? I got a I got a nice nice bow for Christmas, so I've been shooting that quite a bit, um, trying to get proficient in that skill. Um, I like hiking a lot, so I'm very much into being outdoors. Okay. How old are you? Uh, I am 19. I turned 20 in, or like, 15 days. I turned 20. Okay. All right. And do you have any thoughts about what you want to do long term? Um, I'm actually looking to do personal training full time for like my career. I see. Okay. So I want to be. Um, my goal is to be a coach mm-hmm. for like strength athletes and like bodybuilders and that kind of stuff. Um, I'm very much into being dedicated and kind of bettering yourself in all aspects of your life through strength training and, you know, pushing yourself and finding your limits. Yeah. So I'm in, I enjoy fitness. It's kind of a good, um, foundational type of thing for the rest of life. It seems like for me, like if I was to say or think, well, my life is all about fitness, that would kind of, to me, feel a little, empty um, like that's what I'm all about but then on the other hand I enjoy it a whole lot and it is really um, makes a really good base just for having energy and strength and feeling good for other things yeah and you know and being able to do stuff that you enjoy doing to the full capacity as well yeah like if you were to not be as healthy and like you're not as fit you're not as strong like stuff like water skiing is harder like that stuff that, like i've noticed gets easier as i've gotten stronger um rock climbing you know overall lifting weights has gone up just kind of moving around in general mm-hmm. um you don't get as exhausted doing small stuff and i feel like it increases your capacity to have or to live your life to the point where you want to be yeah how long have you been a personal trainer um, I got certified one year ago, okay. and I started working at Exist, which is um, the gym that we belong to. Um, I started working there early December was my first shift. Okay. And what does it take to get certified as a personal trainer? So, unfortunately, I don't think it takes as much as people think it needs to take. Um, you have to... There's about a 400 or rather it's 700 pages actually um it's a study guide essentially that breaks down like how to assess people um 
how to structure workouts, basic nutrition. Um, a lot of it is legal stuff, though. So, unfortunately, you do end up with kind of a lot of personal trainers that aren't as proficient as you think they are. So that's kind of a problem in the industry right now. People kind of think that once you're certified as a trainer, you pretty much know all you need to know. That's not really the case. Okay. So it's kind of like it's more of a basic type of thing you have to know, and then you have to take a test or something like that. Yeah, then you have to you have to take an exam. Um, it's a four-hour test, 200 questions, couple short answers, like an essay question. But other than that, um, it's pretty much just studying and trying to be proficient and memorizing, essentially, the book. How long does it take to prepare for the test? Um, for me, I prepared, it was three months. Okay. And I didn't have a job at that point, so it was kind of in the middle of quarantine. So I was just studying for three months. And then what kind of qualities in a person does it take to make a good personal trainer? I think the biggest thing is curiosity and empathy. Um, those are my biggest ones. Curiosity-wise, if my clients have a question and like they're curious on something, I will admit that I don't know the answer if I don't know it. But then I'm very curious at heart. I'm trying to search for the answer after that so that I can be more well-rounded and I can help people in a bigger capacity. Because when I take on clients, I try to be very empathetic with them. Everybody is a person to me. Um, it does kind of get easy for some people to think of it as money or they're worried about their sales, they're worried about that, but I'm very worried about my clients as people and how I can benefit them. So I take their goals on as my goals and I want them to su succeed in their goals just as much as I want to succeed in my goals. So I'm very curious and I'm always trying to search for answers that can make their journey easier. I'm very yeah. big on education. Okay. And I've, I've wondered if, like, to be a good personal trainer, you have to be a little bit like a um, cheerleader or like a real encouraging, like a coach almost. Is that a, a, an important quality or is that not really a, a big thing? Um, I think it's a pretty important. I think okay. it is. I, have, I try to be as positive and as uplifting as I can be. I want them to feel good. You know, obviously I don't want someone that I care about having, you know, bad days, but when they do have bad days, you gotta kinda be there for them and be like, hey, like you can't do five more. But that, you can't do it. Like I know that you don't think you can, but you can't. Mm -hmm. And then once they push through that and they kinda hit that threshold and they realize that they just did something that they didn't think that they could do, I find that that is very, rewarding for me because when you can push yourself to that capacity it kind of makes life elsewhere easier because you know that you can get that extra you can always go a little bit deeper so I find that if I can be uplifting and I can help people in more of a positive manner and I can make them push out that five more and I can try to bring them up I find that that brings me up in the same capacity 
I had no idea it'd be so loud right here. Yeah. <laughs> a lot more but, trucks than you'd think, huh? Yeah. Well, I guess we're right across the street from a gas station, so I guess it makes sense. Um, so, what kind of um, training have... Um, do you really enjoy it? Like, is it mainly strength training or is it cardio and other things? Strength or? training is really where I kind of specialize. Okay. Um, I very much enjoy pushing my body in that manner where I know where my failure is and then I continue to push that back further and further and further and I can measure it in a uh, like charted out way. Yeah. That's kind of where I get my kicks, essentially. I do know a lot of, like, obviously a lot of people get that, like, runner's high. Yeah. But um, I have pretty terrible asthma, so cardio's not really my okay. my route. So I increase my cardio capacity by deadlifting over, you know, 10 reps. I see. Right. Yeah, that can get your heart and lungs going. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, on heart rate monitors, I'll, when I'm deadlifting, it'll get to, like, 195, 200 sometimes. It's pretty intense. Yeah, so um, there's a an estimated assumption of where your max heart rate can be. It's a 220 minus your age, and that's your estimated heart rate max. So okay. 201 would be my estimated heart rate max, but I have... You can train yourself to the point where you can push past that. Okay. But, you know, it's very taxing. Okay. So I'm 54... So that'd be 220 minus 54. Yep. So that would be like 168, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, I used to do um, hill sprints. And, um, well, like, uh, are you familiar, familiar with Tabata? Tabata's. Yeah, Tabata's. 20 seconds on, 10 seconds off, four rounds or more. Yeah. So in my neighborhood, which is hilly, yep. there's like a long stretch where you... I could do, you know, 20, um, 20 on, 10 off, and do that in eight cycles um, and be pretty much uphill or level, you know, not downhill. It was either uphill or a slight incline pretty much the entire way. And, um, yeah, at the end, having my pulse would be up there in the 160s or yeah. something like that. Yeah, um... <clears throat> My uh, my one client, James, he's my earliest client. I've had him since late December, so he was my first like long-term client. Um, he's still with me today. Um, about three weeks ago, we started doing Tabatas for his high-intensity day. So he does a push-pull, high-intensity push-pull on his routine. Um, comes five days a week. So we still like to get that high-intensity training in. He really does like kind of pushing his cardio limits mm -hmm. so before we were doing um like other high intensity exercises something that was fast paced get your heart rate up um but now we have him doing tabatas on battle ropes for f yeah. five rounds mm -hmm. and then he does kettlebell swings heavy kettlebell swings for two sets of 20 to give him a little bit of a break but not really and then we take him through jump rope tabatas 20 seconds on 10 seconds off and then we hit him on the bike Okay. That's where we finish. Okay. And he'll do eight sets on the bike. 
So what's the main benefit of a personal coach? I mean, there's in, information is so available to everybody nowadays. So, um, so it, it, it's, it's probably not just, you know, information that people can't look up somewhere else. In your opinion, what's the main benefit of, you know, ha- having somebody like you? Um, it's reliability for okay. me. Um, when people go from being unhealthy and they go from living a sedentary lifestyle, it very much does form habits mm-hmm. and they form, you know, addictions to certain activities and pushing themselves in the gym is very hard for them when mm-hmm. they start. It is something that I believe that I can make easier for them, and I can do that by being there and making sure that they know that I'm there for them and that I want them to succeed in their goals, and that's the only reason that I'm here is because they're trying to do this, and they're trying to get better, and I'm going to keep them to it. Um, also, people are very busy. Mm-hmm. You know, There's not a lot of time for those people to do the research and to figure out and to figure out exactly what they need to do. And even if they do have all the information available, if they're not trying to specialize in it specifically, there's just too much. There's too much to sort through. They can't learn it as well as I can put myself to it because that's the only thing that I'm trying to do is trying to learn this stuff to make people's lives easier and to package it in a way that when I'm talking to them and I'm training them, that I'm sprinkling the information in mm-hmm. so that they're getting the benefit. But I'm not just telling them what to do. I'm trying to teach them why they're doing it. And that's pretty big on me. Um, if someone is not telling me why I'm doing it, I, will not, I won't do it. Like, I very much need to know the reasoning behind an activity Otherwise, I don't see the reason in doing it, and I won't do it just out of essentially spite, which isn't super healthy. But, you know, if I can package it in a way that my clients can get the information very easy and accessible, and they can get a workout in while they're doing it, I essentially, that's why I think people need trainers. Yeah. So are you with them every workout, or is it like if they work out three times a week, you're with them just every other time or one time, or... So I have people who come to me uh, once a week, once every two weeks. Okay. And then I have some people who come six days a week. Okay. So it very much depends on what they want to get Mm -hmm. out of it. If they do kind of need that one-on-one and they need that motivation every workout, Mm -hmm. then obviously they'll schedule me for six days a week. But I do kind of like letting my clients build that self-efficacy and knowing that they are proficient enough in the exercises that I taught them on certain days. So I'll go through and I'll teach them every workout and I'll walk them through it and I'll make sure that they're comfortable on it. And then we'll pick like three days out of the week. So we'll do like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We'll get those workouts done together. And then the other Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, they will do on their own so that they can kind of learn that they can push themselves as well, and then if they have any problems, they come to me, and we'll switch days out, depending on what their comfortability is. So, um, is there such a th- is there a thing like is overtraining 
a, a concern like for the average person? I know like for like elite, serious um, athletes, you know, they probably, like especially runners, they have to kind of con- concern themselves with that. But for most people or a lot of people, is that a, a thing to concern themselves with? If they're wanting to make gains, to be careful, like um, it's not just going as hard as you can, but, you know, you have to watch out for overtraining. Yes and no. Um, there's different kind of thought process to this. If you if you're really going hard and you think that you push yourself hard enough where like your body's physically exhausted and the wheels are falling off and you're getting hurt all the time and that, mm-hmm. then you're probably overtraining. Or more than likely, what it is is your form isn't good. Okay. And your and people's perception of working hard is cranking out terrible reps as fast as they can that's not really how if you're looking to progress muscularly you can get benefits by exploding on the concentric so going down or pushing the weight away or pulling it to you if you're doing like a back exercise Mm -hmm. if you're explosive in that then you're going to recruit more muscle fibers and then when you go slow on the eccentric so on the way up or wherever the weight and it's getting lighter to the like beginning of the motion if you can do that slowly then that's going to kind of stretch those muscle fibers more you're going to have more time under tension with that extra recruitment from exploding down but unless you train like that all the time and you're pushing past failure all the time you're really not going to need to concern yourself with overtraining okay so the explosive part is like let's say it's a push exercise mm-hmm. so um you're saying the explosive part is the coming down part no that's the, no, going, the going up part. Going okay up. right okay i see what you mean yeah okay um what about how do things change when people get older like you know i'm 54 so um i know i'm different because um so when i was young in the navy i got into strength training and um and i progressed along just fine you know and um and then at some point and some point i um i got a, a hernia and um i uh took time off to recover from that i just never got back into it and then throughout the years i was i would be into fitness sometimes like sometimes i'd be a runner some or sometimes i'd be into this or that but then later in life, I kind of got into strength training um, again, but it was really a different experience. And in fact, I, I think I kind of overdid it. Maybe my form wasn't so great, but I um, kind of messed up my back. And since then, I've had like lower back problems, you know. So I, um, and then as far as making gains, it's just really tough. It, uh, it seems like I just plateau. Um, for the most part, um, unless I haven't been working out, then if you know I go in, I, yeah, I make gains for a bit, and then it's just like, well, I'm not going anywhere. How do things change when you get older? Um, can you still expect to make gains consistently? Um, if so, what does it take? What do you have to do different? It's really going to be kind of figuring out where your testosterone levels are at at your certain age. Um, if you are noticing like a decline 
in muscle mass and you are like consistently eating protein and you're still getting all the things that you used to be doing and they're just not working the same um, checking hormone health and checking like where your testosterone levels are and if they're in a healthy range that has a significant role on muscle mass testosterone is a very anabolic hormone mm-hmm. so it's very muscle building positive essentially um, that would be my biggest thing is checking where that's at other than that biggest thing is going to be food and then training intelligently mm-hmm. the older you get the more intelligently you should train you can't really just kind of shrug off those little things that you used to because those will have a big impact in your ability to perform exercises later on the road if you keep ignoring them so it's really about structuring your training in an intelligent manner where you're getting the work in but you're not pushing yourself to that level 10 all the time so something that is very good for muscle building it's called periodization Um, this is something that I have recently adopted before I would just try to train harder than last time at the same reps same sets week after week and I'd try to progress it and then I'd change my workout and then I'd try to do the same thing it wasn't working for me very well I was getting beat up I was getting like little injuries here and there just stuff that wasn't super super conclusive to my goals the risk to reward ratio training like that for me wasn't there and I wasn't really seeing the progress that I wanted to see because I wasn't tracking everything so uh, periodization is structuring your workouts so you're building intensity over a small period of time I like to say a month So let's say you're doing like three sets of 12. You want to train in a rep range or not not so much rep range. um, Reps in reserve is what I like to go by now. (laughs) So you train a certain amount of reps and then you have a certain amount of reps in reserve. So if you were doing, let's say, 100 pounds and you could do 100 pounds for 12 reps, but you couldn't do one single rep more, that would be zero reps in reserve. That's failure. Mm-hmm. The most optimal reps in reserve to build muscle mass is anywhere from two to three on average. Oh, really? Wow. Mm-hmm. So you really have to kind of be pushing yourself to that limit and finding out where your tens at, but only not not all the time. So yeah. So, so you- then you start off, let's say, three sets of twelve, and you have three reps in reserve. Okay. So if you could do the 100 pounds for 10 reps to failure, you'd do 100 pounds for 7 reps, and you'd do it for your 3 sets. Okay. Because that's kind of... And then, like, the next different. week, you mm-hmm. would go to 2. 2 so in reserve. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you do, like, 100 pounds for 8 reps. Right. And the next week, you, you know, you continue to scale until you get to that 1 or that failure... Yeah. And then you take a deload week. So then you take a week that you go real light. You go to, let's say, six reps in reserve. Okay. So then you give yourself some time to recover. You get that nice recovery, and then you come back the next week feeling real fresh. Mm-hmm. But instead of building reps like that for reps in reserve, you add weight to adjust reps in reserve. Okay. 
Um, right, because hopefully, yeah, you're you're going up, so that's going to change. Yep. Um, as far as nutrients, you mentioned protein. Is there like a rule of thumb about, you know, the amount of protein a person should? If you are on a high to moderate carbohydrate diet um, and you're trying to bulk, carbohydrates have a protein-sparing effect, so you're going to want 0.8 grams per pound of body weight. Or if if you would consider yourself obese or very, like, unhealthily heavy, then you're going to want to do it off of your lean body mass instead of your overall. Okay. Right. So, like, for you or I, like, how much do you weigh? Um, like, about 170, 160. Yeah, about 170. Okay. So, yeah, you would do 0.8 of your 170. Okay. If you were having a very good amount of your daily intake from carbs. So... I see, because if you weren't having a good amount of your daily intake from carbs you would have to make up for it with protein is that what you're saying so then you essentially protein or fats okay so there are multiple methods to it um people like to say that you know ketogenic diets will go catabolic and muscle mass the studies don't really prove that but it is just kind of harder to get yourself into a surplus because that's overall what it is is going to be is if you're in a calorie surplus or you're in a calorie deficit. So my biggest things are I want you to hit your protein goal for the day and then I want my clients to hit their calorie goal. Because you need both in order to continue to progress yeah, that and is, so forth. Those are the bare minimum requirements essentially for putting muscle mass on. And what's your rule of thumb for calories? Um, calories, you're going to go to a total daily expenditure app online on Google. I just use one off of Google. It's like okay. the first one that pulls up. Mm-hmm. It's going to, it's essentially a questionnaire. You're okay. going to put in your total daily, like how many calories you do eat, your weight, your height, what your activity level is, how active you are throughout the day rather than like working out. And then it's going to give you a ballpark estimate of how many calories you burn in a day mm-hmm. to maintain your weight. And then depending on how fast you want to gain weight, you're going to add calories to that number. Okay. So let's say in a day you ate 2,000 calories. That's your total daily expenditure. You don't lose weight at that rate. You don't gain weight. Just 2,000 calories. You keep 170. Mm-hmm. Now, then you can add calories to that number. So let's say you're at 2,100 calories. Then you're going to be in a 100-calorie surplus for the day. So over time, you're going to slowly put that weight on. Because it's not a lot of extra calories. It's just a little bit. Right. But if you were to go into a 200-calorie surplus, then you're on the top end of what they call a lean bulk. A lean bulk is... You're putting good amounts of muscle mass on, but you're putting negligible amounts of fat on. Okay. So your fat progression is going to be very low, mm-hmm. but your muscle is going to be pretty low too, but it's going to be consistent. Yeah. 
then you can go to like a moderate calorie surplus or a moderate bulk and that's going to be anywhere from like 300 calorie surplus to 500 and then anything over five is kind of what you consider a dirty bulk <laughs> where you're just putting mm-hmm. you're putting weight on very fast some of it is going to be muscle a lot of it's going to be fat yeah where do you grow in your knowledge concerning all of this? Because there's so much information that needs to be sorted through and, you know, and it probably takes discernment. Everyone wants to tell you what to do and what, you know, so how do you kind of like work through all of this so that you're growing in, you know, good solid knowledge? I try to find people that challenge their own ideas. Okay. So I'm very big in not being married to an idea set. I notice that a lot of people in the fitness community are very married to their ideas and they think that because they've been training people a certain way for a certain amount of time that they have to just continue to do that even after, you know, more knowledge has shown up that points to the other direction. Mm-hmm. So um, one of my biggest kind of sources of knowledge for this is uh, a man named Alexander Bromley on YouTube. Mm-hmm. He is a strongman. I'm very big on strongman stuff. I think it's a pretty good functional way of training your body. But Alexander Bromley is kind of the most scientific about strength training. He talks about a bunch of different methods, a bunch of different rep schemes, how to you know increase weights how to brace properly Hmm. he very goes into a very wide variety of subjects very in-depth and then he also admits when he's wrong he's like well i was doing a 531 setup and now i'm doing whatever it is Mm -hmm. but so i learned from him i learned from um, vitruvian physique he's very scientific his name's igor he's from toronto He's very scientific about it. He reads the studies, but he puts them in a manner that regular people can understand them. Because mm-hmm. I try to learn from the smart people. I don't know if I'm necessarily like one of those people, but I try to listen to people who do, you know, know what they're talking about. Yeah. And I, that in turn, by learning from them and then doing my own research along with that, then I become one of those people who knows it mm-hmm. because I spend a lot of time trying to fully grasp the concepts yeah you know how um exercise just kind of lifts someone's mood you know gives them a sense of well-being and i really appreciate that and and then like we were talking about earlier um i appreciate just uh, being fit to be able to do the things that a person wants to do um so you know as far as like all of the calculations and everything, um, you know, I can see the benefit of that. But for someone who's just, they're just wanting to have a, a good uh, stability, you know, a foundation for life and just fitness. And they just want to feel good, have energy and stuff like that. Making gains, that's like icing on the cake. But if it happens or doesn't happen, that's not like the biggest, you know, the main thing. So... For them, you know, just kind of ignoring, um, you know, kind of knowing some of that, the calculations and everything, 
protein, you know, and all of that. Um, but really, you know, not necessarily, you know, tracking it and following it. Um, does that make sense? Or do you think it's important to take a more scientific approach to fitness? Or can so, it be just more an intuitive, feel your way through it kind of thing? If you're wanting to get performance or like muscle gains, I think that yeah. it's pretty important. But for everyday life, I'm very, I'm a very big believer in intuitive eating. Okay. So eating what you want. Yeah. And just kind of learning the healthy habits. Mm-hmm. So learning what your portion should look like. Learning how many vegetables you should eat a day, how many servings what a well-balanced diet looks like Mm -hmm. when you kind of learn how that is you can structure it in a way that you can eat the foods that you like and you don't have to think about it Mm -hmm. one of my biggest things is i am a glutton so i love eating large quantities of food so i make sure that my foods are low calorie dense i find that that helps create a very sustainable diet if you will if your diet is just talking about like foods that you eat because like i have pancakes almost every morning for breakfast i love pancakes but Mm -hmm. i have protein pancakes okay so the protein pancakes are one banana two whole eggs baking powder um, salt and then two scoops whatever protein i want i mix that up i make pancakes it's 440 calories but that's got a good amount of protein in it. It's got a little bit of carbs in it. It's got a little bit of fat. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I can, it keeps me full. Right. So it's not something that I eat. And then next thing you know, I'm like, well, out of my 2,500 calories for today, I just spent 600 calories on regular wheat pancakes or like flour pancakes. And I had sugar on it. I had the sugar syrup. And 20 minutes later, I'm hungry. And I'm going to eat some Pop-Tarts, which are another 400 calories. And then next thing you know, for breakfast, you've had two-fifths of your day. Yeah. So I like having large quantities of food that doesn't take up a large amount of calories. Yeah. Um, Are you familiar with Wim Hof? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. And the breathing techniques? Yeah, and cold exposure. Yeah. Have you gotten into any of that type of thing? A little bit. I take cold showers every once in a while just to kind of see where I'm at mentally. Yeah. Um, I find they do have a lot of very measurable benefits for your body. Yeah. And taking your attention to your breathing throughout the day is, I think, a lot of... It's something a lot of people take for granted. Yeah just kind of you know going about their day breathing into their chest not their stomach not using your diaphragm getting away from like those very fundamental aspects of breathing yeah and they have you know no idea what they are so when you're forced to kind of take your breath in like that when you're in a cold shower i think that that's very beneficial and i think a lot of people should do it yeah maybe that's something we needed to exist like one of those um cold plunge tubs yeah <laughs> listen i'm i'm preaching it hot cold i want it yeah that'd be great um do you do uh i know you saw me sitting in the sauna do you do the sauna often yeah i do i enjoy the sauna and then i enjoy the cold stuff like 
I take a cold shower every morning. And uh, last um, winter, so I was wanting to be consistent, um, cold shower every day of the winter. And I was trying to, um, you know, I don't know, I think I may have started off in three minutes, but after a while, it's like five minutes, staying in there for five minutes um, each day. And I did, and I, there's an aspect where I like it because I feel great afterwards, but there's also an aspect where it's kind of mentally um, tough day after day getting up and think and then making yourself do something that you really just don't want to do (laughs) so it that can get kind of weary after a while but i think it's very that's an aspect that a lot of people need to learn to just do yeah because you know the benefits that you get from getting out of that shower and your body's all cold and tingly and then you start to feel that warmth radiating from the inside of your body as you're breathing in and you're feeling that warmth kind of spread back through. Yeah. You know the benefits and you know how that makes you feel, so you do it. Right. You don't really want to, but you do it because you know what's at the end of that. Right. And that's what you're really looking for. Yeah. But, and you know, that's the same thing with like exercise in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Or just doing challenging things in general. Mm-hmm. Way too many people don't have any kind of discipline. Yeah. They just kind of wander, and they're like, meh, you know, I'll do it if I do it. If I don't, I don't. They don't hold themselves to a standard. Yeah. And, you know, taking a cold shower for five minutes a day, learning to breathe into your diaphragm and, you know, doing it because you get the benefit out of it and you like it, but you don't necessarily want to do it all the time, but you do it anyway. Yeah. People don't, people don't do that. They just don't want to do it, and then they just don't do it. Yeah. That's foreign to me. Yeah. So I did a cold plunge in my parents' farm pond last winter, too. There was snow on the ground, a skim of you know, thin ice yep. or the water that I could just brush away. I would like to do more of that um, because it's a different experience. Like when you're in a shower, it's like you're being pelted. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But when you get into... Um, still water and it's I don't know it, it's like at first you know my body just automatically just really just breathing like a locomotive you know in and out and stuff but then after a few minutes um, it was like I just stopped and it, I realized I can stop I don't have to keep on you know, like, hyperventilating yeah. <laughs> and, and everything was just still and it was like wow you know, it was just kind of a different, it felt like different. And then you're more immersed. Yeah. Especially being in an environment, you yeah. know, how often did people get cold in cold water before we had cold water from the tap? It hasn't been that long. So that's, you know, it brings you to it in a way. Yeah. Cause we have it such in such an artificial manner that when you do it for real, you know, you get that, actual benefit out of it yeah it's a little bit hard logistically though um, because you have to have a place you know to get into the water and then um, I mean at at home you could fill up a tub put ice in it or whatever but you know that's kind of a lot to go through for just like five or ten minutes so what people have been uh, what people do now is they'll get those horse troughs Mm mm-hmm and then they'll get a bigger one on the outside and they'll stuff the inside with insulation foam. They'll put two 
like a, another piece of insulation foam uh, cut out so it'll sit on the smaller one when you close the lid. Plywood, insulation, plywood. And then they'll leave ice in there for days. Fill it with okay. a hose, dump all your ice in there. It's there for quite a while if it's not hot outside. I see. Well, that's a new idea. Yep. And you just go dump in your horse trough right on your on your porch right hmm well let's take a turn more toward um just who you are as a person so what um well, what kind of family did you come from or are you a part of now i'm <laughs> so my family is very we're very tight okay like we're very much family oriented mm-hmm. more of like family first over just about anything so I'm a very loyal person Um, that's kind of my biggest thing I don't like it when people talk behind anybody's back I believe that you know if you're going to say it say it to their face but my family is very tight Mm -hmm. we work hard Um, we work very thoroughly and I kind of grew up in an aspect where my mom and my dad my dad was working like 100 hours a week um, he was making really good money, but he would just put his head down and he got the work done. Um, my mom was a teacher for 20 years, and she just took her cake business full-time called Sweet Cakes and Treats, but she was doing that since I was like three. Mm-hmm. So she's been doing that for 16 years, 15, 16 years, and she just kind of committed to a full jump, so she left her teaching position to pursue this so that kind of is something that I've grown up around a lot people taking leaps of faith and just diving into the work and knowing that if you put your head down and you really kind of do it it does happen so we're very big on just working Hmm. like if we have goals we just put our head down and we get it done Mm -hmm. and we don't talk behind people's back and if we have problems we address it and we communicate very well. We moved around quite a bit when I was younger. Um, I had 17 moves by the time I was 13. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. So. What was all the moving about? So a lot of it was my dad's job. We were renters, so we would jump from place to place. Um, But we moved around a lot for my dad's job. What kind of work was he doing? He is into like telecom, okay, um, internet security, okay. with a company called Cirrus One Universal Cloud Storage. Okay. So, for like pretty big companies, but that's relatively new. But he used to work for just like companies. Essentially, he was a contractor. Yeah. But so I was born in Virginia, right outside of DC. And that was right before 9-11. Or sorry, right after 9-11. So my parents moved out there. 9-11 happened. My dad got sent home. Or so he got laid off. So he got sent home while my mom was pregnant. She had me out there. Then they moved back like a month later to be back with family. Um, I grew up in Belleville. They grew up in Belleville. That's where all my family's from. So we moved back to Belleville. I lived there till I was five. Then we moved to Las Vegas for my dad's job. 
We lived in three houses out there in three years. My mom was a teacher out there. She was my first grade teacher as well. So that was interesting. Not the best, <laughs> not the best at times. Yeah. You mouth off in class, your dad tends to come home mad. But, you know, don't mm-hmm. talk bad to your mom. Essentially is what you get out of that one. But then we moved to Minnesota. We moved to St. Paul for my job or for my dad's job as well. Then my parents got divorced in Minnesota. So my mom wanted to be back with family, so we moved back down to St. Louis. And my mom moved to Columbia. My dad moved back to Belleville. Mm-hmm. So that's where that was. We moved back and forth a lot. But when we were out there, it was very much kind of isolated. So my family, my close family grew very close. Even though my parents, their marriage was kind of not awesome. But mm-hmm. we're still very close even now. It's a little weird, but, like, I think that really says something that, like, my parents got divorced, but they're still friends. Are they? Okay. Yeah. And they're very much only still friends for us, I feel like, my sister and I, who she's four years older than I am. But you just kind of learn to work through it when you're a family, even though that they didn't work well as, like, a married couple mm-hmm. they still work well as parents mm-hmm. and they kind of set aside the differences to make sure that my sister and I got kind of the full attention mm-hmm. which we very much appreciate it was weird when it first happened my sister and I were I was nine and she was 13 so we kind of struggled with that that they were friends but looking back on it it's a positive impact and and in what way was it positive? Just kind of learning that. Oh, you mean you that they were still friends? Yeah, that they that were still. Yeah, that they were still friends. But okay, for, I it thought it was positive for us. Okay, not just um, not necessarily the divorce you're saying, but that in spite of the divorce, they were still friends for you. Your, yeah, for for us essentially. Right. It kind of proves that you can be. A multi, a multi-aspected person. Yeah. Like you can not like somebody in some aspect of your life, but still not want them to be gone. Yeah. So then you know you make it work for one reason or another. Yeah. And then are you close to both of your parents? Then. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're we're very close. Yeah. We're very open communicators. Um, I'm not very big on being a fake person, so yeah. kind of whatever I think I just say out loud it yeah. gets me into trouble, but you know at the end of the day, that's just kind of who I am, so I think being open about my ideas and just kind of being an open communicator and trying to tell people what I'm feeling at face value um that's something that I learned from them, and that's something that I get you know you learned that from your mom and dad. I learned that from my dad mainly. Your dad? My okay. mom. My mom kind of holds stuff back. Oh, does my she? My dad, he just sends it. He doesn't okay. really. It's not that he doesn't care. Mm-hmm. He just knows that he needs to say it. So he says right. it and deals with the consequences. Yeah. And um seems like that would be good, helpful in a marriage with communication and stuff like that. But um, better than just... Um, bottling things up and not 
expressing them, not working through it, just putting it off and so forth, you know. Yeah, that's something mainly that I learned. Mm -hmm. They didn't really learn it, but, you know, me being sometimes you're too close to a problem where you can't fully see the full picture, Mm -hmm. but kind of growing up around that kind of makes me realize how I need to be Mm -hmm. at an earlier age. So my parents had my sister and I pretty young. Yeah. So I pretty much grew up around adults mm-hmm. and my parents who were growing up at the same time because they were like my dad was 25 when they had me. Okay. And, you know, he was still progressing as a person now and he's 44. Yeah. But I kind of appreciate that they had us young just because I did get to see them grow up. And I think that I was always hanging out with their friends and having good in-depth conversations with adults Mm -hmm. and I don't really like talking to kids my age to be honest Mm -hmm. I feel like they're very two-dimensional but I do like having these very you know in-depth one-on-one person conversations and I think that that's something that I pretty much only get from them in two-dimensional do you mean like um just kind of black and white in thinking or uh, not really um, well, you know, think, thinking things through well and stuff like that? Or They're very, I feel like they're very shallow. No okay. one really goes through any kind of struggle. Or if mm-hmm. they do go through a struggle, they play it off and, you know, always take it as a joke or do some kind of like roll off and they don't really address it. Mm-hmm. I feel like you should be able to sit down and address what you're going through yeah but you don't really get that from them so they're very closed off well i feel like people my age they don't acknowledge that they have like human emotions Mm -hmm. or that even like you sitting across from me are a person who's had your no your whole life and i've had my whole life and then we're just you know sitting down and chat yeah they're very they look at people as objects in my opinion because I think that seeing so many people on your phone and just you know legitimately being flat and having like two-faced captions and communicating through social media I think it's a broken way to communicate Mm -hmm. and that's really the only way that they do communicate is through social media and they don't sit down and have any kind of emotional conversation Hmm that I feel like they get a very disconnected perception of what people are. Yeah. Who do you, like, as far as just talking things through, who do you do that with? Is it, like, some people, I think, do it with their journal, you know, they just do it on their own, but or, or do you do it with, is there a particular person or people or? Pretty much anybody. Okay. I'm very, I'm a very open person. Okay. I'm I try to be at face value all the time. I don't like being fake. I feel like that's misleading and there's not really a purpose for it. It's not beneficial to me. It's not beneficial to anybody else. So pretty much whatever's on my mind, if I'm talking to somebody, I'll bring it up. Mhm. Whether that's you know a political opinion or something that just you know, I kind of thought of in my head an idea, whatever. I just share it. So, um, what 
So for a 19-year-old, a 19-year-old um, young man, you seem um, like you've grown a lot, like you've, um, you know, have like a maturity to you beyond what, um, you know, like you said, like a lot of 19-year-olds would have. What do you attribute to your growth or just the maturity of your character and person and thoughts? Is there any particular thing that you can identify in your life that is you know kind of been behind that I think the only thing that it would be is kind of the fact that I did have to have so many conversations with adults Mm -hmm. and whether that was me being in the car for my dad's business calls or all his friends hanging around the fire you know shooting shooting the shit and doing that kind of stuff but like I try to be very observant and I try to listen to people who know more than me all the time. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I'm very much a product of listening to well-educated people have in-depth conversations and Mm -hmm. trying to pay attention and actually milk it for all it's worth and not taking it for granted and just kind of going like, oh, my dad's talking to his friends again and like just sitting there in my phone. I try to be involved. Do you have a habit? I've kind of always tried to be involved. Do you have a habit of reading? Not as much as I need to. I very much, I like the visual, so I just watch videos on anything and everything that finds my interest, and I try to read up as much as I can on it. Mm -hmm. Well, what's your um, philosophy of life, or are are you religious, or... What are your um, kind of like thoughts about just what life is all about and stuff like that? Uh, one, I'm I'm not religious. I don't. I have nothing against religion at all. I find that a lot of people get a ton of benefit out of religion, and any way that someone can go through life and make it more enjoyable or more rational in their mind I think is valid to a certain extent but me as a person I'm very much just about testing my ideas that's kind of my mantra is I'm very introspective so anything that I'm doing I'm very analytical self-analytical and I'm very critical of how I think and pitfalls that I have and trying to patch those up so that I can be a better person. I think that's kind of what people should be doing is trying to connect more and trying to look at themselves more objectively and figure out what they do because I'm not too worried about what other people do because I can't work on anybody else if I have no idea what's going on in myself. So I'm very curious and I try to acquire as much information about any kind of topic that I'm interested in to become a more well-rounded person. Yeah. So your sounds like your thoughts about life is growth and learning and... Ex- and trying to constantly progress. Progress, right. Like I don't want to hit a point where I'm like, well, I'm, I'm pretty satisfied right now. You know, I have a nice house and I've got a wife and kids and... I've got friends and family, but, you know, if I'm not constantly trying to see where those edges are, that's something that the gym has kind of thrown in my face, as I've always had 
these outlines of what I wanted to do, but I've never had a method to accomplish them. Mm-hmm. And I've never kind of put myself to the test like that, where I'm consistently finding where the line is. And when I am finding the line for exercise and finding where my limits are and how far I can push myself, I find that it makes it a lot easier for me to try to find other lines. So I'm always trying to find the limit of where I'm at and I'm trying to push it and improve and analyze to get better intelligently. So when I was growing up pretty, my asthma is like really bad. Like I'm on shots for it that are, they're called Zolier injections, like $1,400 a shot. And I get them twice a month for insurance. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't get those till I was 13. So up until I was 13, um, whenever my asthma would get bad, I'd kind of be at the complete mercy of it. It'd be like I walked up the stairs and I'd have a full-blown asthma attack. Hmm. Or like I'd be at PE and I'd have, you know, a full-blown asthma attack and kids would be, you know, making fun of me and doing that kind of stuff. But I couldn't really help it. So I was always at the back and I, my body wasn't able to perform how I wanted it to. So I grew up being very intelligent in the way that I do things. Like I don't try to make any rash decisions or like rash movements or anything like that. I try to have everything planned out and mapped out. Mm-hmm. And doing that growing up and kind of developing that way where I always had to be quick on my mind because my body couldn't physically do it. I feel like that's something that I got a ton of benefit through. And then after I got on those shots and I started working out, I pushed myself extremely hard strength training wise. And that makes my cardio better because for whatever reason it is, I can do a very good amount of reps and like, let's say a deadlift, that's my strongest exercise. I can do a lot of weight for a lot of reps and I don't really understand that. But that's kind of how I get my cardio better. So I really push myself where I'm breathing like a racehorse and I'm really trying to focus on my breathing and doing all that stuff. But growing up with asthma, I had to be quick on my feet and use my head to think. So I'm a very, I just, yeah, I'm analytical. I try to think things through. So do you uh, expect to be taking these shots for the rest of your life then? I'm Unless. a little bit on a trial right now. I haven't okay. taken them in two months. Okay, wow. Not for any particular reason other than, you know, mm-hmm. I haven't scheduled my appointment, to be honest with you. Okay. But, like, I notice a little bit of breathing decline, but it also comes from the weather changing and the allergies, and I stopped doing as much cardio as I need to be doing, which means I need to be doing more cardio. But, like... You know, knowing that I need to do more cardio and doing more cardio are kind of different things that we were talking about earlier. I know I need to do it. I know I don't like doing it, but I just kind of need to put my head down and do it. Yeah. So so there's the growth and progressing and stuff, but do you have any um, thoughts about, like, the underlying why? Like, why are you here and things like that? Or is that kind of like a question that doesn't even kind of interest you so much 
I think about it, but at the end of the day, I don't really know if it matters because I am here mm-hmm. and this is what I'm doing. So I'm going to try to do it to my best extent, but it is something that I think about. Um, I think that from the time I was young, I've always been very good at connecting and making like emotional connections. So I feel like exercise has done so much for me. So like why I'm a personal trainer is because I really enjoy making people better. I really enjoy kind of seeing people that are stuck or that they're not making progress and that they're kind of, you know, down on life or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I like making people better yeah. by connecting with them and kind of showing them a better way to do the things that they do. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be doing this my whole life either. Yeah. I very much could come up with a different avenue or a different way to do this more, but I really do, you know, enjoy helping people. And I think that that's kind of why I'm here. Um, so what's like, what kind of routines do you have in your life that are meaningful or really helpful for anything in particular? I know you exercise, but, um, like, is there anything that you've, that you do that's a regular part of your daily or weekly life that is kind of perhaps even a little out of the ordinary, but really, you know, means a lot to you? I'm not sure if there is. Okay. Like I do, right now my life is very kind of fitness focused. Mm-hmm. So right now my life pretty much revolves around training. Um, I am in preparation for a powerlifting meet okay. February 20th. Hmm. So I'm kind of trying to make that something that is priority number one. Mm-hmm. I mean, I take a shower every morning. I do that kind of stuff. I take greens. Um, but other than that, I I meditate a little bit. I meditate probably a couple times a week, not as much as I should. I do get a lot of benefit out of meditation. I find that... Kind of like mindfulness meditation? Yeah. So, okay. Kind of intentionally diving in to like deeper thoughts. Okay. And exploring one thought to like its full pathway. Okay. So that's so, you know, like different than mindfulness then. Yeah. I'm not really sure what to call it, but I do like intentionally sit down a couple times a week and I'll close my eyes and I'll focus on my breathing. Mm-hmm. And if one idea kind of sticks out more than the rest, I'll kind of focus on it and I'll try to explore that thought to a very full extent before I'm done. Okay. So like I don't set a timer or anything really like that. I just kind of explore. So it's focusing on a thought or an idea or mm-hmm. something like that and just just kind of considering it or like um, trying to be like devil's advocate trying to think of different ways that it could be done trying to think of why it wouldn't be done a certain way and why it's done the way that it is um, pretty much anything like that so just kind of mulling over it in a sense a sense an idea yep. yeah right okay I find that that helps me kind of I have a better baseline 
of like how my brain works by doing that kind of stuff and kind of seeing the patterns of how I think of things and if I'm like trying to take shortcuts that no one else has thought of or why that way wouldn't like why my initial thought process of how to do something wouldn't be the right way again trying to be very analytical so that I don't get stuck I'm very I'm worried about getting stuck in something that like I'm doing and I get stuck in an ideology like an ideology what what's that word like um, I know what you mean like um, ideology yeah that's the word so a certain way of thinking where you're you're not where you're just assuming it and you're not really um, I'm not able to look at it rationally right yeah because like one thing that I don't do is I don't run my own training programs anymore Um, I have our cleaner at exist Logan Campbell okay he runs my programs he's the smartest guy there Hmm. he's the most humble guy as well yeah I'm not sure is he the one behind the desk up front or the one more cleaning up in the back no he's always kind of cleaning up in the back he's shorter he's real stocky he's got the big beard okay yeah I know who you're talking about yep so he runs my programs and I ran my programs for a long time I've been working out for three years I ran my programs for two and a half but um so I ran my own programs for a while, but I noticed that I was too close to it to look at it for how it was Mm -hmm. rather than what I would like it to be. So I kind of try to take that into all aspects of my life where I try to look at it for how it is and not versus how I want to see it. Hmm. But on something like my training, I just, I've been trying it and I can't do it really. Mm -hmm. I don't have that level of ego control where I'm not like, well, I'll just, you know, put 20 more pounds on and that'll hurt myself or something. So Logan, he kind of like lays it all out for you, like how many reps you're going to do and the weight and so forth. So I get to pick, I get to pick my weights, but I also train in the reps and reserve fashion. Right. So it forces me to kind of take a step back and like, if I'm not feeling it one day, maybe I'll go a little bit lighter. But I'm still hitting my seven, mm-hmm. like right. my seven reps in reserve, or like my three reps in reserve. Mm-hmm. Right. But I try to not have facets in my life that I can't look at objectively. And if I do, I find a way to, whether that's by asking someone else to like help me with it and like help me look at it. But I do very much try to kind of operate in that fashion. I see. Yeah. Well, is there anything else that would be good to to bring up, to toss around a little bit before we just kind of wrap up? What are some like issues that you are personally having in the gym? Like, what are some things that you feel that you're not getting that you would like to get? Well. I don't know. Um, well, f- it would be nice to, to progress, and I do tend to kind of um, injure myself pretty often, um, like certain places. Like right now, um, 
I can't, I don't, I'm not doing any pushing because this shoulder is sore right now. So mm-hmm. if I push, it's sore. Um, I, um, I like the idea of like kind of the big three push in, pulling, squat type of thing. Yep. But um, I don't do regular back squ- barbell squats. I do Bulgarian split squats because um, I have like um, lower back issues mm-hmm. so I can just use lighter weight and still kind of stress my legs um, I do um, so for pulling I normally do pull-ups um, or some rows you know and the pushing I was just using a machine to press but then I got on started doing bench presses that was okay for a while, but it wasn't too long before my shoulders started bothering me. Yep. So I gave that up. And um, as far as like what I'm looking for, um, or issues, I don't know. It's kind of hard to say. Um, I guess in a big, broad way of looking at it, um, I want to be fairly strong. You know, um, it's not like a do you want to be like functionally strong or you want to be yeah. objectively strong? Um, more like functionally, um, so from objectively strong, like uh, what do you mean by that? Like what's your bench press, what's your squat, what's your deadlift versus oh. how does your body perform doing basic movements? Oh. Well, like let's say you have to pick up a box and put it to your shelf. Right. Like, how strong are you through that whole entire range of motion? Right. Um, I guess the objective part is kind of the part that makes it a little bit fun to go in and just see oneself kind of moving forward. That, you know, it makes it a little bit like a sport, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, um, um, so I guess that's what I would en- enjoy, um, right? Yeah, but um, I would probably recommend keeping your big three compound movements: so your squat, bench, your deadlift, mm-hmm. on the barbells. I think you should try doing kettlebell exercises. Yeah, especially okay. for your back and your shoulder. Um, being able to have all those small stabilizers. Mm-hmm. And being able to be strong in kind of uncomfortable, weak positions. Like when you're at a kettlebell swing and the kettlebell's between your legs and your back's over and you're popping your hips up, that bottom position isn't necessarily the best position, Mm -hmm. but you do get good at becoming tight and keeping everything safe in these odd positions of the movement. Mm -hmm. And being able to kind of work out ballistically while improving your stabilizers and you're still going to get a good hypertrophy kind of outlet depending on how heavy you're going on the kettlebells i think that you could progress that way too okay um so with so with the lower back issue mm-hmm. and I, I got mild scoliosis so i don't know if that interferes or anything in here it makes me feel a little unbalanced you know but so i'm not sure if like 
do I need to strengthen? So the way I experience it, if, if I started doing squats, I'd be okay the first day. Um, maybe the next week, you know, I'd do some more, I'd be okay. But it's more like um, a volume type of thing. Mm -hmm. Like if I did one set a week, maybe I'd be okay for a while. Um, if I increase that at all. So when I'm um, saying squats, I'm like if I got started in a two leg thing, like even if it's like a goblet squat, goblet squat, like I could um, do um, like one set a couple times a week, and I'd probably be fine with that. But if I did like three sets a couple times a week, I'd be okay for the first couple of weeks, and then I'd Wheels really st start falling off. Right. Yep. So I'm thinking it's like a volume thing, which makes me think it just can't put up with too much, and. Um, more than it's like, well, I need to strengthen it somehow. Um, anyway, so it, it makes me think it's not able to be fixed so much. So I just have to kind of live with it and be underneath that tolerance level or something like that. I think a lot of those problems are probably coming from stability or training too hard too often. Okay. So I think kind of doing that periodized structure... Like, let's say you're doing goblet squats. Uh, you're doing three sets of 12, let's say. Mm -hmm. What's, what's like, a good weight that you do on goblet squats? It's, like, a good working weight. Um, like an 80-pound dumbbell or something like that. Okay. So let's say week one you're doing three sets of 12, and you'll do 65 or 70 pounds. Okay. So you're doing 70 pounds. Then the next week... So, like, seven days later, you'll do three sets of 12 at 75. Okay. Three weeks later, you'll do your three sets of 12 at 80, and the next week you'll do 85. And then back it all the way back down. Okay. And then you'll kind of progress like that. I see. Right. So, every cycle, the weights are going to get easier and easier, and that 85 is eventually going to be like, eh, you know, can't wait for my 85 week. Right. And once you get there, then you can start bumping up like that right. another thing um, like where's the issue in like your barbell back squat um, I haven't even tried those for a long time um, but it would be the same thing just volume Now, I'd, and then like if it's lower on the back mm -hmm. it is like shoulder flexibility and stuff holding the bar um, but um it would be an, it would be the same thing. Goblet squats I handle better because um, I'm in a more upright position, you know. Yep. Have you ever done uh, front squats? No, I've never uh, did front squats. Um, they look interesting. They look kind of odd the way the barbells held, but I never have uh, gotten into those. Yeah. Yeah, I would. Something for something that I recommend for almost anybody is more of what you would call a sit to stand. So it's like a, it'd be like a barbell back squat or a barbell front squat mm -hmm. to a box. Okay. That would be just a little bit lower than parallel. Okay. And then you want to sit on the box like if you were getting up from the toilet like explosively or like mm -hmm. you were getting out of your chair and you're trying to shoot your chair back. Yeah. You would okay. almost kind of get out of it like that. But having the ability to generate power from that position of being like sit and then keeping your core tight 
busting your glutes through, I feel like that would be a good way that you could kind of progress the overall weight without doing too much to like bust up your knees. Okay. And you start from a sitting position. Um, you start from out of the rack. Out of the rack. And yep. then you come down and you touch the And you tap, tap the box. box. Tap the box. And you pause for like a second, but okay. you don't relax. You don't on, relax. You don't relax on the box. Right. You keep the stomach tight. You keep everything locked. And you're explosively popping your hips. Right. Up. And the box is almost like a cue. Like that's the point. And that's then, your, yeah, that's, that's right. where your squat is. Right. There it is. Right. Well, thanks, Liam. Yeah. And I appreciate all the good information, and it's just really helpful information, so I appreciate that. Um, what um, would you like to say is, is if anyone wanted to get into contact with you, how would they do that? Um, so they can get into contact with me through either emailing me. Uh, my email is Liam dot, or liamvineyardpt at gmail.com, and then uh, mainly I'm most active on Instagram which my uh, username is Liam underscore Vineyard underscore, and that's typically the best way to get in contact with me. Okay. Well, thanks for the conversation. I've really yeah. enjoyed it. It's been very pleasurable. Mm-hmm.